Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast uh, with Wayne Pua and Patrick Miller. We're going to do Chicago Bears mock draft 2.0. Um, weeks back, we we did a first run through. This was obviously before the big trade went down with the Carolina Panthers. I think you know Wayne and I were both projecting Bears to you know draft at number one overall. I think we both you know simulated uh, some mock trades that would take place in that scenario. But now. You know, the whole board has been kind of reshuffled with that trade. Uh, we're obviously really excited to have DJ Moore, um, you know, a couple first, couple seconds here to, to enjoy over the years. But uh, in general, we're going to come back with 2.0 here. Um, obviously, the Bears are now in uh, the number nine slot. Um, but both Wayne and I have put together scenarios where we're going to run through five rounds of the draft. So expanding it a little bit, you know, past where we started in the last mock. But uh, in general, anything goes here. So uh, I'm going to kick it over to Wayne to go through uh, his scenario uh, starting in the first round. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, no, uh, the first round, first pick now here, I went through like eight different scenarios, but I think I'm going to go like, at least I'm going to present maybe like what I think Ryan Polis is going to do a little bit more so of. Uh, like, you know, if I were to be a betting man on this situation, like this is maybe what I'm thinking. So with that all being said, um, pick number nine, I have the Bears selecting uh, Paris Johnson. Uh, I think he fits exactly what Ryan Poles wants in an offensive tackle. Definitely fits that need. Um, Ryan Poles kind of, to be honest, ignored the tackle position a little bit in his free agency, in this you know, round of free agency. You know, I think the only, only offensive lineman we got was with Nate Davis. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are kind of throwing uh, the different scenarios around. It's like, do we move Tevin Jenkins to right tackle then? Um, and then, you know, what do we do with Cody White here? It doesn't sound like we're going to be cutting him anytime soon, at least. Um, so for me, it's like Paris Johnson. He's got to be it. I think some of the other ones might be a little bit of a reach um, in terms of, you know, the defensive talent out there. I think Tyree Wilson might be the only one, but it, my thinking is he's probably going to be gone by then. But if he is, maybe we do take him there. But um, I like Paris Johnson uh, over Skaronsky. I know, you know, hometown kid and everything. Um, I know everybody's making fun of him in short arms. Like, you know, uh, this six foot four, 315 pound, uh, you know, man strosity out there uh, has small arms or something like that. I think it was like 32, 32 inches, but you know, in the left tackle or right tackle or, or tackle position, in the NFL usually want a little bit longer um, arms than that. And, you know, Paris Johnson definitely has that with like 36. I think he measured at an eighth inch arms. Uh, his dad is a former NFL player. I think he's also a coach as well. So I, uh, you know, it definitely is for Paris Johnson. He just needs to work on his technique a little bit more and just fine tune it. Um, only had that one year. I left tackle his senior year, you know, played okay. I think he, he allowed uh, two sacks and the 12 hurries. Um, and for the rest of the time, he played, uh, I think, at right guard. So there is maybe some versatility there. But, you know, with Brian Poles, he he definitely tends to go with the high upside type of person. And I definitely see that, I think, in Paris Johnson. Uh, Skaronsky, you know, he can be, you know, pretty decent guard. But, you know, top 10 position, you're definitely kind of shooting for the stars and trying to shoot for that left tackle, future left tackle or right tackle. And that, that really just screams um, Paris Johnson for me. So here... Yeah, I picked uh, Paris Johnson. Um, yeah, with this pick. Uh, yeah. So, Pat, who do you got there? And we yeah, would love to talk all the other fun draft scenarios that you know we, we probably have uh, come up with. Yeah. No. I, I I feel like that's a good pick. I feel like that's probably the most likely pick if I were to put my money down today. I think if we went that route, that's the guy I'd want to take as well. I mean. He seems to have the size. It's his natural position, like you were saying. Skaronsky, I don't want us uh, reshuffling our entire line to to kind of fit Skaronsky in. No offense to him. I'm sure his game, you know, will play at the next level. It's just kind of, you know, at least for, for what we need right now in that position, I feel like Johnson is the guy. Um, on my end, um, you know, I went a little bit outside the box here, but I'm also trying to get into Pole's head, and I'm trying to think, you know, if I'm going to, hold the number nine pick. I want some amazing value to fall to me. And I think in a lot of these scenarios and a lot of things that I've been seeing, reading and kind of thinking about Ryan Poles and his ability to pull the trigger is that if one of those, you know, top line uh, defensive linemen don't fall to him, you know, whoever it may be, I think 
he may look at the offensive line options out there. And because he knows line pretty well, he might, he might know how to, you know, um, evaluate talent in a way that, you know, a GM who doesn't have the line experience wouldn't. So he might look at a guy like Paris Johnson or Skaronsky and say, you know, I could get you later on, or, you know, I can find another guy to kind of build into our system guy who's maybe a better fit, even though he doesn't have the same amount of hype. So I think the one thing that, you know, hits me in the face is a guy that they could potentially get here. And the way I'm kind of looking at it is I had a scenario that I threw into the simulator just for fun, um, just to get more value, get another second round pick. So I offered the jets, the number nine pick overall in a, in our third rounder for their 13th overall pick and the number 43, which falls into the second round. Um, and with that first round pick, I went for the guy that I just hopefully you know, we'll see in a Bears uniform next year. It's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, I picked Jackson Smith and Jigba. You know, obviously, if we kept everything the same, he'd be, let's say, what, our third or fourth wide receiver. Um, but in the same sense, like, his upside, his connection to Ohio State, to Justin Fields, you know, Mooney's going to be a free agent next year. Um, it's not to say that we have to just go out and dish Mooney, but in the same sense, if we do, we might be able to pull back some value for him. I think there might be a team out there looking for some wide receiver help and they could definitely get some value out of Mooney. So we let him walk and we've got, you know, whatever it is, the whole rookie deal with JSN and uh, obviously DJ Moore. And, and that takes our, you know, wide receiving, you know, core from, from good to great. In my opinion, I feel like, you know, just looking at the Eagles model, looking at what they did last year, you know, they went out and they traded for AJ Brown. They also paid him. We don't have to do that with JSN. He'll just be locked into that rookie deal and we'll still get, hopefully, you know, a Devontae Smith type talent at the position. So a guy who's savvy, quick, great route runner, you know, fits right into the slot. And the only downside to them that, you know, PFF was kind of listing out was his physical, you know, tools and, you know, kind of his strength. But, you know, look at Tyreek Hill, look at other guys. I mean, I don't know if they exactly fall into the same, you know, skill set, but there are definitely short receivers around the league that are making a huge impact. And I just feel like, you know, JSN's that guy, and uh, he would definitely take us from, uh, you know, looking like a good team going into the year to, to a team that, like, I think would be pretty imposing uh, for the next three years or so. I love it. I love it. I love it. No, that was, like, my other, like, oh, this could be fun if this were, ha- were to happen, right? But, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm almost in the line of, too, of, like, oh, maybe we actually don't even have to trade down necessarily. Like, I feel like that's even somewhat decent value, too. Um, a lot of people are, say he is, like, the most like refined receiver out there. I know Quinton Johnson's the other name that's getting tossed out there as a t- as a top wide receiver, but he definitely you know maybe in a sense they're almost kind of opposites. Like what's Quinton Johnson's strengths? Oh, his physicalness. Like he's six six four, runs like a four three or four four and all that. Um, but yeah, he's maybe not the most refined route runner compared to like JSN. But it, yeah, then it's like JSN. It's like oh he he only runs a four point four eight or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's still pretty damn good um really great you know he's primarily plays in the slot and yeah like in a way it's almost kind of like the whole jamar chase versus sewell type of thing that the Bengals did right and that you know kind of worked out for them there so um although they're still trying to find offensive alignment uh to this day in a way but um yeah like justin fields has said i really wanted to you know it, it would be great if i can play with jsn right and I know there's this whole talk about, you know, maybe getting Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, next year with the Carolina Panthers first rounder. But at the same time, it's like he he knows JSN pretty well, uh, you know, and has, uh, has had some success there. And, you know, there was that wide receiver room with was JSN, Garrett Wilson, uh, Olave. And I, I think they like interviewed all of them. And like they all said that JSN was probably the most talented out of all of them, which is pretty nuts when you think about that. So. You know, I know he he got hurt uh, you know, his previous season, but you know, from everything I guess we're looking at, he seems pretty healthy and you know ran pretty well. So, you know, at the same at the same, yes, it's nice we can if we can take an offensive lineman, but this is a pretty deep draft, uh, second, third round, I would say for offensive line and defensive line, which we have you know several picks there. So, um, I like it. Yeah, let's roll the dice. You know, toss it out there and um, see what happens. So. Yeah, that could be a fun one, I would think. All right. Um, what do you have for the second and third rounds of your draft? Second and third rounds. Okay. So for me, um, I went with a local person here. Uh, uh, Etowah, I'm going to botch this. Etowah Tom 
Miwa uh, Adibare, Adibare, I think that's it. Yeah, out of Northwestern, uh, 6'2", 280. Uh, you know, blue guy in the combine is 40, right? Ran a 4.49. This guy is 280, right? Uh, so has a lot of the physical attributes. Um, you know, in college, he was definitely kind of uh, pushed around in the line with regards to, like, you know, being the, the three technique, being the B gap, A gap a little bit too, but then, you know, also primarily was in the outside, you know, against tackles, which probably wasn't the best fit for him, uh, you know, if you want to look at it from the offensive or like from an NFL perspective. So his um, body really suits him definitely in that three tech uh, atmosphere, which, you know, that's exactly what I think uh, Iberfus has kept on saying is probably the most important position in his defense. And, you know, yeah, we signed with DeMarcus walker uh this off season but you know is he really going to be the the person that three tech that we look to you know to create havoc in, on the line there it's hard to say for that for me so you know uh uh with uh eddie bar a <laughs> i'm gonna be i'm gonna learn this hopefully if he, if he joins the bear bears here but um he had 22 pressures six sacks 2022 21 uh pressures and five sacks in 2021 Definitely fits that mold, so I, I can see him contributing there. Um, my the second se- second round pick there, uh, I went offensive lineman uh, as well uh, here. So uh, center uh, Joe Titman out of Wisconsin. Um, he's a big center, six six. Uh, so I think there's some versatility aspects he, he, that he can have there. Uh, you know, spent the past two seasons as as the center for Wisconsin. Uh, but, you know, he spent his sophomore season uh, as a guard and at 6'6", you know, it's a pretty, I guess, decent size for, you know, a, a guard kind of like, you know, what Tevin Jenkins has been in a way. So has only allowed one sack in college. Um, and that was actually this past season. So, you know, we don't know exactly what's happening with Cody Whitehair for this season. So I think with Joe Tipman, like if he wants to maybe learn a little bit from Cody Whitehair, uh, maybe, you know, uh, play guard ever so often as a substitute rotational player. And then maybe next season, you know, uh, we'll see what happens there at center, put, put him at center. And as he develops a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, experience within this uh, offensive scheme there. So um, I have him there at this, as a second, second pick. Um, and then the third pick, you know, definitely think we needed a defensive end, um, some somebody to get to the quarterback. And I picked uh, Derek Hall out of uh, Auburn. Uh, ran a four five forty, six three two fifty four. Really, kind of your prototypical pass rusher, I think. You know, isn't the greatest on the run, but honestly, I think you know this defense really is is much more about you know, for the defensive line is much more about getting to the quarterback, and I think that's where Derek Hall is. You know, obviously, everybody keeps talking about the Bears, how we kind of sucked this previous season in the pass rush. So, I think you know, Derek Hall had. Uh, eight sacks in 2022 and in 2021 had 10 sacks, uh, but you had a bunch of pressures too uh, there. And he, you know, he played in the SEC, which, you know, you're going against, you know, top, uh, you know, first three rounds uh, tackles out there. So really, really good in the SEC there um, has a very, very, he's very much known for his quick first step. So that's where I just see him contributing a bunch. That's one of the hardest things to, or one of the hardest things to teach is that quick first step. And so for me, yeah, Derek Hall, I, I think he, he would be a slam dunk there uh, in the third round. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, getting the, getting the defensive line help there definitely, you know, it, it makes you feel better about missing on one of the bigger, bigger guys at the top of the board in the first round. Um, I also like the Tipman pick because, you know, even if we were to go out and grab Paris Johnson or another tackle, like just having some more depth on the line is important and you don't have to worry as much about, you know, white hair playing out of position or going back to a position he hasn't played in a while or whatever else you got to do. I think, you know, just getting some high end offensive line help is, is what we've been looking for for a while. So I think on all fronts, uh, you know, those are all some good solid picks. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you got? On my end, so in the second round now, I've got two picks, and then I've got one in the third. Um, the first one is the Jets pick, and it'd be at the number 43 overall, but I'd be going out and getting Ohio State's Dewan Jones, uh, 6'8", 374 pounds. And they're saying this guy is just an absolute monster, um, good hands, um, strong in pass protection. They say that 
you know, if there are some negatives, it's just his quickness and then also his ability to kind of work in different sets and kind of work at the NFL, you know, speed of the game. So I think in a lot of ways, he's just going to be, you know, learning on the fly, but you can't, you can't teach size. And if this guy is really, you know, that big of a monster, I think, you know, just plugging him right into right tackles, what they're suggesting, you know, you keep Braxton Jones where he's at and kind of, you know, let everybody stay, you know, for the most part intact and, uh, you know, just, just building another uh, Ohio State uh, product there with uh, JSN and Fields. Like, I just think, you know, keeping that continuity to get there, you can just call this the the Buckeyes of the of the Northwest or what have you. So, uh, you know, I thought that would be, you know, good use of that traded, um, you know, pick with the Jets. And I think there's still, you know, some tackle help available in the early second round. Um, my second second round pick is Ade, Ade Baware, out of Northwestern, the same guy that you just picked. Um Man, they are saying this guy might move his way into the first round. Um, you know, I think uh, Kuiper um, and that other clown that that does stuff with Kuiper, uh, uh, McShay, uh, is that right, Todd McShay? Yeah. I mean, both of them were like drooling over this guy and just the fact that he had like the most amazing combine of all time, like his ability to do you know high vertical, a bunch of bench reps. Like you've already kind of broken him down, but you know, a smart kid at Northwestern. Uh, they say that he was really good at you know, getting pressures to the quarterback and also, you know, misdirect kind of like redirecting running backs into, you know, into, you know, somewhat of like gang tackles and such. So they said that he's, you know, quick, he's able to get to the ball, uh, you know, <laughs> in light speed. And it's like, I don't know what kept him kind of out of the first round in most of these mocks or most of the, you know, draft, draft simulator tool, but overall um, got an A plus for that pick. He's the 40th on their big board. Um, I think this guy is going to be, a real steal for whoever gets him. So hopefully he's wearing a Bears uniform. Um, and the third pick, third round, um, you know, just kind of looking down the line, seeing there's like a ton of edge and even interior defensive linemen, um, you know, available later on in rounds. I figured why not go out and get a safety? Um, you know, I think Eddie Jackson at this point, this may be his last year um, with, you know, with the Bears. I don't know what they're planning to do, you know, kind of moving forward, but guy can play too high safety. Um, He's got good agility. He's a good tackler. They just say he needs to kind of build more muscle mass to play at the NFL game. He was a product out of Florida State, but overall, um, talking big about, you know, Jamie Robinson as a safety. I thought, you know, in the NFL game today, it's just nice to have, you know, extra padding, you know, at this at the you know secondary positions. And uh, overall, uh, if we're going to be beating teams, uh, both in the NFC, especially out in the AFC with all their great quarterbacks, it'd be nice to have, you know, an elite uh, secondary as well. Yeah, no, those. That, that's an interesting pick because I know there's been a lot of people has been like, you know what? Yeah, let's just uh, load up on uh, the the line a little bit. So you know, I, I hey, that that can definitely be a fun pick. Might have gone cornerback more so there because I, I think there's been a lot of like speculations, like you know, they want, do they really want Kyle Gordon kind of just there at the slot, or do they want him uh, out, outside a little bit? So. Um, yeah, and I don't think they've signed anybody yet. Yet we'll see what happens. Uh, they sign uh, was it Rocky Asin? So, uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, having that, you know, with Eddie Jackson is out next year, right? Then it's like, well, let's we, who's going to take his uh, spot there? So, um, and you know, with Ryan Poles, he definitely is somebody that will pick whoever the best available player is. You know, more so often than not, which you know, I think he's kind of shown this previous draft so if, the, if it is somebody in the secondary then even hey if you do have you know some things uh some things to dress on the on the line why not just uh, take some of the best put play, play, best player available there so um yeah i don't know we'll see but yeah i don't know yeah with uh was the, the ohio state guy i know that there's been a lot of talk about him like oh he just doesn't maybe fit the scheme maybe that could be the only thing about maybe him not working out with polls at the moment but um that would be fun if we are the chicago buckeyes right <laughs> yeah we'll see um a guy that whole king that big i mean if you're doing like you know run packages and things like he might be able to push the line but if you're doing something more dynamic you know swing swing plays or tosses and stuff that might be tough to get him like you know get his feet chopped and get him out on the edge yeah but i mean here you know you just go on a diet it's cool whatever <laughs> <laughs> we'll see um how about your uh fourth and fifth rounds here yeah fourth and fifth rounders so um you know, I I looked at somebody that they actually, you know, they had the um, it was like top thirty invites uh, list for the Bears of you know basically people that they've interviewed and have had held private workouts for, and I saw one name there that I think makes sense for them uh, out there in the fourth round. 
Uh, I guess, you know, we use PFF, uh, the draft simulator for all this, but um, Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State, uh, you know, he's your quintessential possession wide receiver. Let's let's be frank about this. Isn't necessarily going to, you know, blow over the top. He did run a 4-5-3. Um, pretty decent size, though, at like 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds. Uh, had 107 receptions his previous season uh, for 11, you know, just a, a little bit over 1,100 yards there. Um, and then 83 receptions and 90, 990, 990 yards in 2021. So, um, but yeah, uh, quintessential wide, uh, position wide receiver. Uh, I think in this, you know, uh, later in the draft for wide, wide outs, you kind of just want to see like, hey, maybe there is a little bit of upside there. Um, so with Xavier Hutchinson, uh, definitely productive. Uh, and, you know, they, I think the Bears, they do have maybe, I don't want to say enough. I don't know if you can ever have enough of like burners, but I think it is helpful to have some sort of a, you know, possession wide receiver thing for Justin Fields. Um, somebody that can, you know, you know that they can catch. I know he did have like six, seven drops, I think this past season, but he got targeted like 150 times. So he's bound to drop some. So yeah, I picked uh, Xavier Hutchinson there. Uh, the first pick in the, in the, in the fourth round there. Um, my second fourth round pick, pick 133 here. Um, I, I looked at somebody, I was like, how did this person, oh, I see why. Uh, how, why is this person not like up in the boards a little bit? Um, uh, Iowa's cornerback, Riley Moss. So he uh, won the Tatum Woodson uh, DB award in 2021. Uh, he came back this year as like a fifth year senior. Um, has He's a ball hawk, he has... In five years, he's accumulated uh, 11 interceptions. Uh, he's, I think, a track star of some sort uh, as well. Uh, had a 39-inch vert, uh, is 6'1", 193 pounds, and uh, ran a 4.4540. But his, you know, his thing, and Pat, you're going to hate me for saying this, his one thing, though, is he's white. So, <laughs> you know, he's the Jason Seahorn, if you will, uh, kind of wannabe, or, I think is what people are kind of putting him into. So... Yeah, but yeah, had a productive uh, career. Uh, he has some pretty good physical skills there. But yeah, for whatever reason, he's not higher on on some of the draft boards. Uh, maybe not as twitchy, I think, is what some people are saying. Definitely fits more of that zone scheme a little bit. And so I think he can kind of fit with regards to what Ibrahim wants to do uh, for the defense. So I think he 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 fit really well on the outside corner. Uh, maybe won't start immediately, but I think he's somebody that we can you know maybe eventually plug in. You know, next year maybe have some reps this year, and then you know keep Kyle Gordon there in the slot there. So, um, and then with uh, the fifth round pick there, here, uh, I chose Dorian Williams out of Tulane. Um, I don't know. Again, PFF, they I'm just going by that. Ran a 4.49 as a, as a linebacker. Um, you know, really, he's a quintessential. I think we like we like kind of linebacker uh, there. I know we've we've just been adding free agents for the linebacker position, but you know. I think it's nice to have some depth here uh, for the Bears uh, in KSA. One of those you know players goes down that we just signed. So um, yeah, Dorian Williams, Tulane, speedster, uh, you know, decent tackle here and there too. Um, so yeah, that that was my uh, last pick there, Dorian Williams. So, but yeah, Pat, what are you thinking? What uh, who do you got? Man, I'm thinking uh, CMC proved all running backs wrong when uh, he stepped up, and everybody always wanted to call him the white running back that. Uh, you know, is the best in the league because, you know, for white running backs and stuff. But I think he's starting to prove, like, you know, just straight up, I'm better than all you guys. Like, bring it. But uh, we'll see. Riley Moss, that's what I'm thinking. That's at top of mind right now. I think he goes out there, balls out, just shows everybody, like, what he's made of. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully, uh, skin color doesn't doesn't matter in this sense. But, uh, yeah, in any situation, um, you know, talent will, will kind of speak for itself. Um, Dorian Williams has also been, you know, on a lot of my draft boards um, in the simulator, especially I think in the first uh, edition of the mock that we did. And I think, yeah, overall, if any of our linebackers go down, we need to have some guys in the stable. I mean, Morrow and, uh, you know, Thomas left in free agency this year and it was kind of like Sanborn was the only guy left standing. So like, we're going to need to replenish that depth and, uh, you know, to mid round pick. I think that's, I think that's smart. And he obviously got, you know, pretty decent grade through PFF. Um, at least on my end, uh, my fourth round pick, you mentioned getting a cornerback. So I grabbed one in the fourth round, uh, Trevius Hodges Tomlinson out of TCU. Um, this was an A plus pick for them. Um, the only problem with it is he's a 5'8 slot corner. Um, 
they say this guy is fearless. He's quick. He can make good tackles. Um, but again, size might be an issue here. Like you were saying, Kyler Gordon, if you want to, you know, kick him back out to being more of a traditional corner and you have, you know, Hodges Tomlinson on the inside kind of covering, you know, that those speedy slot receivers and such. And if he's good in open space and can make tackles, I mean, that's kind of like a, you know, bears stable bears forte when we have like, you know, some of our stronger defenses. So I'd love to have, you know, some depth there and a guy who's got some upside, you know, in the middle, in the middle rounds there um, to kind of close it out. Um, I had actually two fifths. I don't know if it got put in there oh. from some of the previous trades, but um, overall um, I guess fourth and fifth round, my next two picks are both uh, D linemen. But um, again, I think there was a lot of edge depth in this draft. I went with Isaiah McGuire out of Missouri um, guy who's 87th overall on their big board, and he goes at 133 for me. Um, another A plus. Uh, McGuire last year had seven sacks, seven hits, and 21 hurries in 12 games. I mean, it seems like some pretty good production. Um, moving into the fifth round, I grabbed Kobe Turner out of uh, Wake Forest. He's an interior defensive lineman. He had three sacks, four hits, and 27 quarterback hurries in 13 games. And I guess looking on paper, just at size, McGuire and Turner are the same size as Nick Bosa and Jalen Carter, respectively. So, like, not that that translates to their talent, obviously, but, like, to be highly graded, to get them in, you know, the middle to late rounds, I just think that's, like, important to keep in mind as we go through this draft, as, you know, Poles and the Bears go through this draft this year. Like, obviously, I think a lot of us are, like, hoping that a guy like Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson or, you know, not that Willie Will Anderson would probably fall to us at this point, but it's like, I think those are the sexy picks that everybody wants to make up top and stuff. But I think there's a, you know, just a, a good opportunity here to kind of wait and see what falls to you because I've seen a lot of other guys that are graded pretty, pretty high and had some really good standout seasons last year in college that could be waiting for you in the later rounds. So um, with my last fifth round pick, I grabbed Dwayne McBride um, running back out of UAB. I figure you know, we brought over Deontay Foreman. We've got Khalil Herbert there, but in the same sense, like, doesn't hurt to have a little bit more depth. You know, Foreman's going to be gone after this year if we don't resign him. If he has, you know, a bad year, injuries, whatever, we, you know, could stand to gain from having a guy later rounds as a backup running back. They say this guy is like a three down back overall, um, breaks through tackles. He is a little weak in the passing game, but overall, I just think, you know, the way that, you know, we may run this year and just, in general, if there are any injuries, I'd just like to have a guy back there. And, um, you know, so we'll see if, if McBride would join our team in any sense. But, uh, yeah, overall, those are my, uh, I guess, four picks in the fourth and uh, fifth rounds. Got it. Yeah, no, I think those are good, solid picks overall. Um, you know, uh, I did like McGuire. I think uh, I think he's going to you know, be a pretty decent uh, NFL, uh, you know, maybe a rotational rusher or somebody just to spell, you know, uh, some defensive lineman there. Uh, Kobe Turner as well. I think he can be a solid one as you know to to help contribute uh, fairly immediately. I think, in my opinion. So um, and then yeah, the the Bears. I did think about running back death, but I'm like, oh, maybe not uh, for uh, polls. At least what he's thinking. You know, I think I have spoken about like Penny McIntosh maybe as a possibility just because he can you know catch uh, catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. So. But no, I, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, you're back and definitely uh, is it Dwayne. Yeah. can help out with that as well. So um, yeah, I, I did, I did forget. I did have one more fifth round pick. I forgot to use here as well. Um, yeah. I was looking at my notes and apparently it, he was, he, he jumped to the next page here. So um, I guess with that, it's like, uh, uh, I think he's out of San Diego state, uh, Viliami uh, Fajoko. Uh, I think I got that right, but uh, he, he does not look the part, but he caused 50 hurries this past season, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, and then he also had 12 sacks. So that was, I think, one player that, you know, in the fifth round, uh, somebody that had a lot of good stats, uh, maybe not the best physique, but still a key contributor over there. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, with uh, everything that's happening in the fourth, fifth rounds, right, you're kind of just looking to see, uh, maybe take a gamble here and there and see something that pans out. Great if they're a position of, you know, need or whatever. But I think at the same time, yeah, there's there's some studs I think there that Ryan Poles is probably looking at that he feels pretty confident. Maybe yeah, we do take JSN out there, you know, the first. So yeah, I I mean it could go in all different sorts of directions, especially 
you know, going down to the number nine pick, I just feel like it's not really obvious. I mean, I've seen a lot of mock drafts. It's like, will a corner fall to us? Will, you know, we grab that offensive tackle. Will we take a high upside wide receiver? Do we trade down again and get multiple picks or whatever else? And it's just like, I don't know. It's not, it's not overly obvious to me what they're going to do. And I think that's what makes it, you know, kind of fun to run through these uh, simulations and, uh, you know, just in general, I don't know if you pulled anything else out from, from other mocks that you did, but like, were there any other, I don't know, strategies you might, you might consider here or players you might target with uh, some of these picks or anything you saw in your, in your simulations? Yeah. The one player that I like run the third round, and I, I thought about just trading back in the fourth round for value because I think it's projected around like 80 or 85 pick or something like that, or 85th pick was Carl Brooks. Um, he looks like your quintessential, like what we need as a three tech and has had experience at the three tech, um, you know, out of Bowling Green, like 6'3", 300, like your like the exact size there. Uh, but he was like a pass rushing extraordinaire, uh, has a high motor, uh, like just doesn't stop. So like kind of the opposite in a way of like Jalen Carter in that he just keeps on going, doesn't ha- doesn't spell off any plays, and that really has contributed him to you know sacking the quarterback. I think he had like a dozen sacks this previous season again at the three tech. So um, you know, granted, hey, it's Bowling Green or whatever, but I mean, how many how many players in his conference had you know double digit sacks and stuff like that? So uh, yeah, I think Carl Brooks is definitely one. But if the Bears draft him and, you know, maybe third round or something like that or the trade back to the fourth, um, I would be excited if, if they were to grab him just because it seems like he would fit, you know, Eberflus, what we're trying to do on defense and uh, kind of just a player you could plug in there. So um, him, you know, maybe Ken, Kenny McIntosh um, was another one. Uh, I've spoken about Overshown, uh, but I think that's less of a – stressor just because of what we've yeah, acquisitions we've made at, at a linebacker um try to think if there's anyone else but yeah i think those are the main ones overall um there was that running back out i think out of eastern carolina i believe or something like that um but yeah he i think he was like just a speedster but you know if we can get more speed maybe at the running back position i think that could you know definitely uh make just our offense more explosive so but yeah did you have anybody on on your end that you're like wow, it'd be awesome if we nag this guy, you know, maybe the middle rounds or something. Yeah, um, I guess looking middle rounds and stuff. I mean, I, I like this idea of if we are able to grab a tackle earlier on, whether it's the first or second round, and then maybe grab a center. Um, Luke Whipler was also out there, I feel like, in the second round. We, we might have touched him in the first, you know, go around of this mock, but I just think overall he's a good value for where you grab him. I would love to kind of see us, if we, if we do – take this offensive line route kind of double up at the position too, like whether it's center and then you grab a tackle just so we're not, you know, running ourselves too thin walking into the season. Cause as of right now, we fill, you know, the tackle spot and do nothing else. Like any injuries pile up, like we're going to be back in a similar situation we were last year. So I'd love to have extra padding there. Um, but outside of like this mid round scenario, I think that, running through other scenarios and doing other trades and like whether or not these are super feasible or not. But I did one with Pittsburgh, uh, the Steelers overall. And um, I ended up getting like the 17 overall pick number 32 for nine and 64. And it netted me Devon Witherspoon and Anton Harrison, um, you know, the tackles were all like, that's a great combo. Like I doubt the Devon uh, Witherspoon falls that far. I mean, as of now I'm seeing him maybe go six or seven overall and, you know, most mocks uh, by the experts, but, you know, again, if we could get a traditional corner there for some good value and then come back and get a second round tackle um, just so we're not maybe reaching too far with that number nine overall, like that to me seems like a really winning combo. You push Kyler Gordon back to being a slot corner and you get, you know, a guy who can play on the Island, like Witherspoon physical, you know, uh, doesn't have a lot of weaknesses or holes in his game. So it's just like, you know, I just want us to grab like, the most upside we possibly can with all these picks, regardless of position. Like I feel like subsequent trades or whatever else we need to do, like we can figure out, but like, let's just not pigeon our, like pigeonhole ourselves into like, we must draft a tackle here. We must draft an edge rusher here. So now let's just, you know, you know, get on our knees and like take the guy who's just like hanging out there next, you know? 
Yeah, and I think that's one thing I do like about Poles is he just doesn't reach. Like it's against his religion or whatever. He he's like, no, I will not pay. Was it like eighteen million dollars or whatever for McGlinchey or something like that? Right? It's like I will not. He's not a top five uh, right tackle, so he doesn't deserve to be paid in the top five. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely a much more about value and stuff. So I, I definitely like that. Um, I do like how you mentioned uh, Devon Witherspoon because he was one of the people that was invited in the top 30 i'm looking at this top 30 list uh just of like the prospects that they had on here um but yeah he, i think they had an interview with him at the combine so you know that could be interesting if he's either there at the, at the ninth pick if they take him at the nine or maybe, maybe they trade back and you know see if they can get um you know accumulate more picks here and there too so um i guess other picks that i'm looking at too uh, now that i'm thinking more about it uh if they do trade back i in the first round it would be interesting if they do take someone like uh play I can see um he's kind of like your quintessential just pass rusher like I know there's been all that uh it's a little bit of comparison of like uh Aaron Donald light if you will or Aaron Donald Jr. just a little bit smaller you know maybe not as uh physical or as ripped as Aaron Donald was um but still like somebody that can get to the quarterback uh at the three tech spot so um that was definitely you know one another person and then you know I did see Rasheed Rice uh, looks like they interviewed him at the combine as well as a potential wide receiver. But, um, you know, all in all, yeah, I, I think that I kind of trust polls, but at the same time, it's like it's not going to be uh, sexy as an offseason acquisition of some sort. It might just be like, oh, you know, during this season, it's like, wow, that was a smart choice or that was that, that was a smart move here and there. Um, it definitely seems like that's just the route it goes. It's not a, a sexy, explosive type of. Uh, blockbuster deal that necessarily happens um it's you know one of those ones like oh it was very calculated so um that be, could be potentially what we see here uh for even the draft here yeah it's like you know we're putting a new roof on the house or, or new siding and then like you know it's not the the new porsche uh, you know pulling up in the driveway you know it's kind of like there are a lot of things that we need to get right i feel like under the hood before we just go out and you know get those finishing pieces get those you know, closers like an AJ Brown or, you know, signing an Ezekiel Elliott off free agency or something like that. It's like, we're still, I think a ways away from being a real, you know, complete built football team. So if this is boring, if this is like just showing a lot of discipline, this, you know, off season, which I already feel like he has, you know, shown that, like I was expecting maybe a little bit more uh, coming into this off season, like the linebacker signings were like, you know, big splashes and stuff. And like, obviously that, uh, that trade down was really, was really big for us to describing a guy like DJ Moore. but you know, in a lot of ways we like, we've seen how disciplined he's been. You brought up the McGlinchey thing. I did see an article on that, which I thought was like, you know, he was getting more guaranteed from Denver and they've been like cycling through, uh, tackles for, for like 12 seasons or something. I think they've had like 10, 10 of them in like 12 seasons or something. So they're just like overly desperate. He's just not going to go there. And I can respect that. Um, you know, we don't need this to be like the Ryan Pace show, you know, <laughs> going out and grabbing like a Khalil Mack after, you know, botching it at the draft the year prior and stuff like that. So um, stay disciplined, you know, keep some money in the bank there. Uh, you know, you never know when there's going to be a rainy day. There might be many in Chicago. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, overall, I, I do have that. Um, and I think we've said this, like this, uh, this faith in him and, and, Ian Cunningham and others that have like come on to this, you know, organization uh, in the last couple of years with like, for some reason, I just have this like trust in them. And, and uh, you know, until they prove me wrong, like I feel like I have a lot of support for what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one question. If Jalen Carter is there at nine, do you take him or do you like, no, where he's too many question marks here? hundred percent. I take him hundred percent. Cause I feel like this stuff, it like always, you know, I, I like to use the Laramie Tunsil example. I think we've I've said this in the last couple videos that we've done on the Bears, but it's just like if everyone's saying he's number one on the big board, and yes, like this offseason was was a pretty uh a pretty bad one for him, you know, just legally and then obviously like the workout concerns and things like that. But I just feel like he's done too much right to have like this little stretch of period in time, like take him off, you know, his trajectory, his route now. All that being said, like he's probably going to be a better fit on a team like the Seahawks or the Eagles this year if they were to grab him at five or ten, just because of like the coaching they have there, the infrastructure they already have, the types of teams they could, 
you know, build with, with a guy like Jalen Carter, whereas like, you know, maybe coming to the bears and kind of, you know, newer, newer execs in the organization, newer coaches, a team that might not be amazing out of the gate. Uh, we don't know, but uh, there may be better fits for him, but yes, if he falls to nine, like absolutely want to pounce on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking he goes to um, the lions possibly. Um <laughs> It just makes sense. It's one of those things. It's like, I would hate for him to go to the Lions, though. Although, from a football perspective, that could be fun, though. Like, that just fits, like, you know, that's a very Lions thing, I feel like, for for them to, like, uh, you know, take someone that, I don't want to say polarizing or whatever, but, like, has kind of, like, at least the pre-draft baggage, if you will, that um, Jalen Carter has, you know. But that, that, that would be my only thinking there. Yeah, it just seems like Seattle right now, they've, I think they've kind of rearranged their DTs to like they signed, you know, um, some some free agents here and there. So that's what I'm thinking. Maybe not, but I don't know. We'll see. It could be fun. Um, it would be fun though if he does get past us and the Eagles take him right and they team up with. I feel like that would actually make sense for him, uh, you know, as a player um, teaming up with Jordan Davis again and you know learning a little bit from Fletcher Cox. Uh, you know, hopefully can like disappoint if you will, or be like a big brother to him. And so I don't know something like that could be interesting, but yeah. Yeah. I could totally see the Lions snipe in that one. Um, <laughs> I don't think Anthony Richardson is at all going to be available too, but I just could see the Lions doing something at quarterback too, just to like pad themselves for the years to come. Like, I don't know if Levis is the right fit or whatever else, but like, mm-hmm. I don't see Richardson falling, you know, below that fourth overall pick, uh, just in general. But uh, no, I mean, I feel like the Lions are doing a lot of things this offseason that are like to be to be kind of noted, especially in their secondary. And um, you know, they grab Monty from us, which is, you know, I don't think it's going to be like a, a huge deal. I know they lost Jamal Williams too, which I think is for culture. I think is a big thing for them. Um, but it does feel like you know, even with the CJ Gardner uh, Johnson signing, it's like they're moving in a pretty nice direction here. And like whatever they do with that six overall, like we should take no, cause I think they also have another first rounder. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, this team is uh, I think a step ahead of us. And uh, you know, for their sake, I mean, they've been in the cellar for so long that kind of, I kind of feel bad for Detroit Lions fans. So like if they were to win the division, I'd be much more okay with that than the Packers or Vikings. Yeah. I mean, they're looking pretty prime for that. You know, I uh, had a good season last, last season, uh another season for jared goff you know just uh you know, hopefully they're they're all i guess healthy i know they kind of battled some injuries here and there uh that slowed them down a little bit but um you know and yeah they, they didn't start off too hot as well so uh, i feel like a full season with them uh, with that momentum and confidence i feel like that can do uh wonders for them and yeah they, they can just add depth right now um you know i i think i've seen some projections of them drafting secondary as an alternative, but yeah, Jalen Carter's there. Like, I feel like they're going to go get him. So, um, which that'll suck, but at the same time, Hey, that could be entertaining uh, football. Um, so, but man, yeah. yeah. Well, they stuff. did. Yeah. They did swing and miss on Okuda too. So I don't know if that like mm-hmm. will come back to them. Like, that's not to say it's going to happen every time, but like, you remember when they did the route of like grabbing three number like one wasn't until they got megatron that it actually worked but like yeah you know i just feel like if you keep kind of going to the well and you you like miss like i don't know you get frustrated in that sense but yeah i think if any of these really big names fall to them they're gonna they're gonna pounce on it because you put them opposite like if it's jalen carter on the interior that's one thing but if it like is tyree wilson or i don't know will anderson would fall to them at all but uh you know, just pairing them with like Aiden Hutchinson on that line, like that's going to be devastating yeah. for sure. Yeah. Then, yeah, let's get Paris Johnson. No doubt. Um, <laughs> any other pieces of this from the draft that you wanted to bring up, uh, whether it's guys or or teams or any other scenarios? Well, that run, one running back I, I was uh, blanking out on from Eastern Carolina, it's uh, like Keaton Mitchell. Um, yeah. You know, if you look at the tape on him, super explosive. Uh, almost looks like he's in high school, I guess. But yeah, Eastern Carolina, they've had a you know their own history, I guess, of running backs that are just fast. So um, feel like uh, you know that that could be uh, a running back, maybe in the later rounds, like if he's there, still there, like at six or seven. 
um, seventh round, then I I think that could be a nice uh, take on there because yeah, I know they have like five running backs right now, but um, you know I don't think Travis Edner is gonna make it this off, <laughs> off season. Uh, who knows? Maybe he's better than I think he had like a two point three average yards per carry or something like that. So, but um, yeah, some player like that I think could be fun uh, in the sixth or seventh round there uh, for the Bears. But yeah, gotcha. Um, so I guess with that, um, that's our 2.0. We'll see if we go for three, uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. Draft is, uh, four weeks away at the end of April. Uh, Wayne will be out in Kansas city for that. So hopefully he enjoys it. Looks forward to it and all that good stuff. We get some good coverage there. Um, but yeah, Wayne, did you have any, uh, final thoughts for this episode? Yeah, I, I just thought about it like five seconds ago. Um, so I know, uh, the world baseball classic just occurred, uh, and Japan defeated in a kind of very dramatic fashion, uh, the U S so, uh, you know, I love Japanese food. Uh, I love Korean food a little bit better. Again, not to slight, I don't want to start a war over this or whatever, but, um, Japanese food, I'm glad it's become more prominent other than just like sushi and ramen. Although I do love sushi and ramen. I just had ramen for lunch. But, um, you know, a lot of izakaya food, I feel like, is getting more prominence out there. Um, you know, takoyaki, that's like another favorite dish of mine as well. Um, so curious, Pat, do you have a favorite Japanese cuisine or dish in there that, that you like? If so, what is it? Uh, and feel free to say ramen or sushi as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I was definitely going to start with sushi. Uh, for me, I mean, I can go in all different sorts of directions, whether it's like shrimp or salmon, or whether it's crunchy or just straight raw. Like that's fine with me. Like I just like uh, kind of the buffet you can get when you go out and grab sushi if you're at like a traditional sit-down Japanese restaurant. The one thing I will say about sushi though is like I like it more as like a starter or something I can just kind of like set up with versus like the full blown meal. Cause I feel like I get kind of tired after a while or just like, it gets a little redundant for me after a certain point where I'm kind of like wanting to maybe get to a, uh, like, I don't know, whether it's like a flat top grill type, uh, teppanyaki style, like whether we're doing steak, uh, chicken, etc., like a fried rice or something like, just kind of like mix it up, maybe a hot item and stuff like that too. So, um, love going out, uh, hibachi, like anytime, like <laughs> we'll seriously throw down for that, whether it's a, a friend's birthday or whatever else or kids or whatever else. But, um, yeah, I just love like kind of, um, you know, those flavors overall and, uh, yeah, man, uh, we'll never say no to Japanese. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I, I love any type of, like, I guess, Japanese cuisine, um, even like, you know, a katsu type of curry as well, or soba noodles or udon noodles, um, you know, even those like, uh, it's like a fish, like dessert of some sort, it's like a pastry, uh, it has like red bean in them, stuff like that. I, I even like, uh, yeah, and, you know, their foods are kind of cute, too, as a way. And uh, sometimes, you know, I, I definitely like the izakaya style because it's a lot smaller, but still just delicious, full of flavor. So um yeah if uh, anybody's listening and you know hungry um yeah feel free to check out some uh japanese food other than uh good old ramen and sushi spots with respect to uh sushi and ramen though so but yeah and my mouth is savoring or salivating right now again well it sounds pretty good um the fact that you brought up the world baseball classic um just reminded me of like how dominant shohei otani really is i mean to know that a guy can throw as hard as Verlander to hit like Trout and to run like, you know, Byron Buxton, like all in the same sentence. Like this guy is the craziest, like most pure baseball player that I think we're, we're getting to watch here. I mean, I'm honestly like getting to a point where I'm like ready to consider him the goat, but he just needs a sample size to get a little bit bigger. Like I need to see him do it for like five more years or something. If he could just put like five seasons together, like I would totally, you know, just buying to Shohei is like the best of all time. And it was funny, but, you know, most fantasy leagues, and I've got a draft coming up this weekend, but they'll like break him apart into a hitter and a pitcher. And it's like the only way you can keep him from being the one guy to destroy every single fantasy league because his production's like 
you know, if the best guys, you know, putting down 600 points, he could have like 850 as one pure player. And I was just like, this guy's just nuts. And to see him go up in that last inning, um, I felt the fear, like watching the U S I was like, and I'll be honest with you, like, I'm not as into it as maybe others are who like baseball, like to root for my country and stuff like that. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but I just don't get like all like patriotic about it, but just knowing you're going to go up against Otani and then for him to kind of like, just set them down. Like he did, especially trout. I was like, man, like trout's got to feel really weak going into the season. Like just having to see Shohei in like the first day, because ever since Otani like came into the league, it's been all about Mike trout and not to say that like settles the argument, but like, I just think we're dealing with a, a different type of specimen here. When we, like when we think about Otani as like an athlete, you know? Yeah. I mean, that matchup was nuts. Like he was like throwing a hundred, then he threw that slider, then he threw a hundred two, then he threw another slider. And I think he got him at a slider. It was just, it was, it was game over. Like, I don't know anybody that could hit that ball uh, that he was throwing there. So that was so mega impressive. I think then that, that's like two, number two, uh, World Baseball Classics for Japan right now, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I think that's the most, might be the most, I'm not too sure, but um, that's quite impressive, I think, overall for them. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, for McNeil to take that pitch like below the knees and then get all jacked about it, when I watched that, I was like, dude, you were taking that pitch no matter what. You just got lucky. It was, a, it was barely a ball. <laughs> it wasn't, be- and I think the announcer was like, amazing take by McNeil. But like thinking about it, watching, I was like, "You didn't know what to was, do." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. this guy was frozen, and he just decided not to swing, and he got lucky that it was a ball. That was exactly how I felt about it. Um, but going into this segment for the final thought, um, overall, I've been just thinking about the brackets overall, and just like in general, how maybe yours is performed. Like I just, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show and stuff, but like every year when we get around March, I. Just just dread putting together a bracket because every year mine sucks and every year I don't care. And I tune out after like the first uh, you know, round of matchups and stuff. And like maybe that's a little anti-American of me as well. But um Wayne, uh just wanted to get your take. Like, how do you feel about the bracket overall? March Madness. Do you have any great memories of you know a March Madness experience that, that really sticks out for you, whether it was kind of interpersonal or just uh the games themselves? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Duke fan, Duke basketball fan. So uh, I always love, you know, watching uh, Jay, Will- Jay Williams, Carlos Boozer, that team, Mike Dunleavy and Shane Battier, right? You know, even when they were in the uh, NBA, I was kind of cheering for them. It's like, oh, Carlos Boozer, he's actually pretty good. Uh, <laughs> he was just kind of a rebounder there and uh, occasionally, like, well, you know, pop in a layup uh, ever so often when he was with those teams. But in the NBA, yeah, he was like an all-star. So that was interesting to see. But no, I just I was always a big Duke fan. And it's interesting. They had kind of have like this Chicago connection with like Coach K, now John Shire, uh, over there as a head coach. So um interesting how that's kind of transpired there with all like the Chicago talent uh you know, going through Duke, uh Joel Okafor and you know, several other names as well uh, that have come from Chicago there. So um that's been interesting to see. Uh, Jabari Parker, just another one just come, came to mind there. So um, I really did like that team. I think that with Joel Okafor, uh, I think it was also like Justice Winslow was on that same team as well. Um, really just like uh, loved watching them. And I, I'll, I'll always cheer for them. Usually I will. If they're like, you know, maybe a one, one to three seed or something like that, I'll, you know, kind of play a homer, if you will, and then just like have them going all the way or at least, you know, final four or something like that, which – Hey, I mean, statistically, isn't that bad? <laughs> you know, they're usually in the running for it. So, um, but, you know, I, I do re- recall, yeah, like Leitner and his shot with uh, Grant Hill, like passing him, like full court pass. Like, you know, which one was the better thing, the pass or the shot? Um, it's hard to say. And you know, Leitner was probably one of the best uh, college basketball players out there, I think, you know, to, uh, I guess, Kareem Ladu Jabbar. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, my, most of my memories, I guess, revolve around Duke. Um, also recall uh, Carmelo Anthony and that Syracuse team, like a bunch of freshmen. Like people forget how young that team was. Like nobody had, nobody nobody took them seriously seriously because they were just all a bunch of young freshmen. But 
um yeah like mcnamara like they all took it they all you know took the reins and uh um yeah took it all the way to the championship there so that's probably the greatest one and done team out there really so or, you know we started out as like hey one and done's can compete in the ncaa tournament so um yeah i just love march madness uh it's kind of how i figure you know discover all these random colleges and it's like oh they actually have a good like agricultural school that's interesting or they have a you know decent business school or something like that so it's that is kind of like a fun part about it it's you know a nice way to i guess promote some of these colleges that maybe you know some other people just uh, aren't too aware of so you know i think there's some benefit to that but um yeah i just love uh college basketball in general and just uh love the excitement i love all the upsets love uh, everybody going crazy at, at a bar or something like that and uh, gives some people also to talk something to talk about in the office a little bit, and I know everybody has like all those pools as well, uh, company pools. So it's always fun to see um, uh, th- fun things like that happen. So, but yeah, do you got any uh, any fun uh, uh, stories or any fun memories uh, on March Madness yourself? For sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm going back to 2005 when U of I uh, was 37 and 0. Uh, rolling through the year, Luther Head, uh, D. Brown, James Augustine, Deron Williams, obviously, like amazing year, amazing team. Um, I grew up near Northwestern, uh, basically right next door. So I was a Wildcat fan, not not too, you know, strongly, but in all the sports, like I never grew up pulling for U of I. So there was no allegiances there. Um, but a lot of people at my high school were like all for this U of I run. And I got invited to a party, just like watch it. And I guess he didn't screen me beforehand because it was all U of I uh, fans. And then I was pulling for the Tar Heels because, you know, growing up, Michael Jordan was a Tar Heel and like Michael Jordan was my favorite basketball player ever. So when I thought about teams that could really compete in brackets, I always pulled for the Tar Heels. So I was like, okay, great. Like, I'm just going to cheer for the Tar Heels this entire game. And I was probably the most annoying uh, guy invited to party because, you know, Sean May, Rashad McCann, Raymond Felton, uh, Danny Green off the bench, like, I love that team and I like really enjoyed uh, that game itself. Like it was very much back and forth. It was tight. Um, you know, came up, kind of came down to like the last couple of minutes or what have you, but um, yeah, just in general, I thought that was like one of the best uh, runs I think for any team, uh, you know, just speaking of U of I, but it was like kind of like the Tar Heels also were really strong and I was like kind of eyeing them for most of the years. Like this could be a team that wins it all too. So, um, you know, that, that really comes to mind. And then, you know, I kind of love the story of uh, just the Butler Bulldogs, like especially Gordon Hayward and Brad Stevens. It was kind of like just to see them kind of come out of nowhere and, you know, go kind of back to back years, like getting all the way like through the final four to championship games and stuff. And I think, you know, one of the games, Gordon Hayward like tossed up a half court prayer and like just barely uh, missed it at the end and stuff. But like just to see where their kind of careers went from being like that mid-major squad and like how much that program got elevated because of it, like, Brad Stevens basically like runs the Celtics now. And like Gordon Hayward had a great career. Like he was much better on the jazz, obviously, but it was like, it was fun to watch like kind of that, that team kind of, you know, come out of really nowhere to, to where they are today. But um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think that the camaraderie you get around uh, March Madness, is a lot of fun, like the boss button, obviously at work where you can like touch a button and like an Excel spreadsheet comes up for a second while your boss is, you know, walking around your, your back, like, I think at this point, like almost all workplaces, like I think that are like in the know have like s- some freedom, some flexibility, maybe even put on the games during work and stuff to keep people, you know, somewhat happy. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just I think the culture is good. I just wish my brackets were better, and uh, I wish I followed the game more closely throughout the years because I think the other thing you and I were talking about was just how, you know, the the G League and just all these great international players now. It's like just the talent pool in um, NCAA division one basketball, it's like, it is thinning out a little bit. Um, but I do think some of that thinning out creates a lot more parity in the game and, uh, you know, allows for some of these matchups now to be like the 16 or 15 seed, you know, pulls off an upset and stuff like that too. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's one of those, like, you know, with, uh, you know, the G league, uh, you know, some players even going to overseas to, uh yeah great there's nils now and that's you know that's great it's great that the players are finally getting paid <laughs> and all that uh but yeah then 
I guess now kind of the byproduct of all this is that the NCA talent, like it's, you know, are we going to see the Zion still, you know, go to Duke or something like that? Or are they just going to skip to, you know, the NBA uh, or, or, you know, go through the G League and, and all that? Like how's, how's the whole t- uh, top talent going to be uh, going towards the NBA? What's, what's that all going to look like? Um, but, you know, so maybe there is a little bit of like loss uh, stuff there, but at the same time, uh, I think, you know, if the ultimate goal is for these players is to get to the NBA, then, hey, great for the NBA. So you know, maybe it's not necessarily competition. Like, you know, I know we're kind of just watching these games right now. Uh, I don't know any of these players too much. I don't know if any of them are going to be going to the NBA or, you know, if they're going to be competing. But it, it's hell, it's hella entertaining. It's just entertaining as hell. And love all these upsets, love, you know, back and forth. And, you know, yeah, some of these guys later, they're going to sell insurance to you or something like that down the line. But you know, hey, they have a, they have a great jumper, just yeah, maybe not NBA talent or NBA size or something like that. So uh, for me, it's just nice and entertaining to to watch, get all the excitement. Um, you know, it's it is funny though that yeah, you you're you're uh, you're uh, Tar Heels. I'm Duke and everything. We'll definitely have to have some wagers in the future. But it is funny though. Yeah, you mentioned the whole Gordon Hayward thing, and I was like just looking at the game. It's like, oh yeah, who was on that Duke team? Oh, that's right, John Shire now and all. So. <laughs> It's funny how that all kind of, you know, that one game, like all the people, they just went kind of different directions. Um, you know, yeah, Hayward, like I know Sheldon Mack too. It's funny that you think that all the, the the Duke team would have all the NBA talent, but it's like Gordon Hayward and Sheldon Mack. I think they had respectable careers. I think Hayward he, he might still be going on. I think with the Hornets, but you know, definitely not a All Star uh, player anymore. I, I think I remember he got injured with the Celtics there that one season and on just hasn't been the same, but yeah, you know, it's funny how that all happened, right? Like, uh, you know, that the, the team that won the championship there, uh, yeah, the, the best players, uh, you know, they're, they really didn't have NBA careers, but you know, Nolan Smith, uh, he's a respectable coach now. And then you just talked about Shire as well. So, um, and then, yeah, that Illini team versus, uh, you know, Rashad McCants and Sean May and everything and, 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 and Felton. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, and amongst all those players, right? Probably Deron Williams had the best career, maybe, or had the highest of highs. Um, I think I don't, I don't know if like I, I do remember seeing McCants like on random teams. It's like, how is this guy still in the NBA? He got he just has like a really busy agent. He was like thirty three or something like that, but still, mm-hmm. you know, the twelfth man on a bench. Um, so it's just, it, I don't know. For me, it's just kind of interesting to see what happens to these players. Even if you know if they win a championship, they're not always like. The, a top five, you know, lottery selection, right? They're just players out there that had a great college career and, you know, maybe they'll have a respectable uh, NBA career, but, you know, they're usually not the Kevin Durant's, right? So I find that pretty entertaining and, and usually pretty fun too, so. Yeah, like Danny Green came off the bench for that team and it was like, he was awesome. Like he was great as a college player, but it was like, you know, you could kind of see some of those, you know, um, traits, abilities that I think NBA, you know, in general teams are recruiting for. Like Danny had that. He was like a three and D player and like obviously he's a, a world champion uh guard forward in the NBA. And you know, his career's coming to an end, but in general, yeah, definitely stood out. But uh yeah, it's funny you say like a guy like Sean May and just how much he could dominate with his, you know, size and his ability inside, like it was hard to defend. And almost like, you know, for this year is like the Eddie guy from uh you know, Edie looking at Purdue, it's like this guy is seven four. Like he actually has a really nice uh shot, like his form, you know, at the line and even like his hook shots. So I was like, man, this guy's got like a really good post game. Like if the outside shooters could just get that going and you know not t- turn the ball over as much, like I actually had Purdue in my championship, uh, partly based on that. But I'm like, you know, those are the things. It's like weird. Some years I've looked at, you know, teams with first round talent. Like I've looked at a team like Providence in the past where it was like Chris Dunn and there was another guy who was um, projected to go top 10 and I was like this is a good like sleeper pick because I think they were somewhere in the mid tiers like maybe they were a 7 to 10 seed or something but I think they lost in the first round or something <laughs> so, it's like, so it's like it's just so hard to project like what's going to play in this tournament how is this actually going to go because like like baseball sometimes like once a team kind of catches fire in that in that playoff and they're just riding some momentum like anybody can just like turn it up and be unstoppable for a certain period. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, that's the fun part, at least about March Madness, right? It's just like, it's just one game. Like, sure. 
you know, if uh, if one team were to go against another team in like a seven game series, yeah, maybe the best, like most talented team uh, will win, uh, you know, more often than not. Right. You, know, you even see that in the NBA, like how many times has the most talented team usually just one uh, just out of straight talent, maybe more so. Um, so, yeah, in NCAA basketball, it's like, yeah, there was that Kentucky team. Right. Well, I was just looking at the 2014, 2015 team with like all star like they had like six all-stars on there like it was like carl anthony towns devin booker uh you know i think Trey wild like you know it's a bunch of players that uh i think are still playing the nba right now and all that undefeated until i think it was like the final four they lost to wisconsin with uh oh the great the great nba talent frank kaminsky right so <laughs> you know for that that's just the fun part about March Madness. You can have the most talented players, like even Kevin Durant, right? Uh, I'm not sure if he his team is Texas. He made it to the Sweet 16 or or Elite Eight or whatever. But yeah, they didn't like make it all the way. I think like the one player that like really carried their team uh, uh, was like you know that I'm thinking of was like Dwayne Wade, maybe of like in terms of just pure will and then talent. Um, and but he was like the only kind of talent from that team, I think, or. Uh, around that time so yeah anything crazy just you know if a team can get hot keep that momentum has uh good chemistry good coaching i think coaching is definitely a big thing for sure you know there's a reason why tom is he'll have like a 10 loss team plus like i, I think yeah he, he had a team that go to the sweet 16 uh this year right i think they had they were 11 loss team it's like I don't know these people. <laughs> they, they just came out of nowhere and, uh, you know, just got hot at the right time and just had really great coaching. So, um, yeah, a lot of fun stuff can happen, I think, in March Madness, and that's what I love about it. No doubt. Well, I think we're, you know, moving our way toward, you know, the final four here pretty soon, you know, probably after this weekend or, or whatnot. But, um, yeah, um, overall, good final thoughts. I mean, it almost turned into a final episode there, but uh, <laughs> we covered bears. Uh, we've got some Japanese food and also uh, talking about March madness here uh, to wind down March. I also wanted to give a shout out to Wayne. Uh, this is our, you know, basically our one year anniversary here for the show. I mean, to think about kind of all the things we've done over the last year, as far as episodes and, you know, building a following and kind of getting into new topics and genres. Like we love covering, yeah, the prediction preview stuff. We've also done documentaries. We've had some interesting interviews along the way. So, you know, if you're on YouTube, uh, check out our vault of videos and, and shorts and other stuff. Uh, give us a like, subscribe. Um, also, check us out on Instagram at Ball and Breakfast. Follow along there. We do stories, posts, etc. But um, yeah, we're all over social. Get in touch with us. Uh, Wayne, any parting thoughts? Yeah, man. I think if my calculations are correct. I think this is our 50th episode. I completely forgot about that. So, <laughs> you know, I think that there's a, a, a stat out there in terms of, I guess, podcast, right? It's like, if you can make it after three episodes, then you're good or something like that. So, hey, we've long passed that. Um, you know, I think, yeah, we've, you know, this is something we just like to do for fun and all that. And you know, this is like, you know, I, I think, you know, this whole pandemic and everything that's, that's occurred, you know, now that I'm back in office, like sometimes I forget about how nice it is just to, I have a conversation about sports, part madness, food, and all that. So um, it's a pleasure, you know, just talking with all this about sports and food with you, Pat. I think we have, we share that commonality for sure. So uh, yeah, uh, looking to the next, looking forward to the next fifty episodes. It sounds good. Yeah, I'm with you here. Um, no, it's been great, and obviously uh, more to cover. I'll be planted. So will Wayne and. Uh, Catch us again probably next week. Uh, we'll figure out the topic, but we'll talk to you soon.